the animation podcast, April 7th, 2008. Hey everybody, my name is Clay Cadis, and I'm very excited to welcome you to the 25th episode of the Animation Podcast. Wow, it's taken a while, but we've made it to 25. I admit that I wasn't even sure if it would get this far, but it has. I want to take this time to give some thanks, if you don't mind. If I could only thank one person for their support, it has to be my wife, the intro voice, for being more than understanding and supportive and for sacrificing all those weekends, including this one, for when I just had to get a show out. She's amazing and encouraging, and she's really why this podcast is still alive. You actually have her to thank for all those times when she's asked me, don't you have a show to make? Of course, I want to thank all the guests who have been so generous with their time and inspiring stories. And one thing that has guaranteed more shows is the support of AnimationMentor.com. Without them, I'm sure I wouldn't be producing monthly shows, and who knows how long it would take for me to reach number 25. So, here's a brief commercial break. The Animation Podcast is sponsored by AnimationMentor.com, the online animation school. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter for animation tips, student profiles, and access to my upcoming Animation Mentor exclusive animation podcast at AnimationMentor.com. Finally, I want to thank you, the listeners, for your support. If you've commented on the site, emailed me, posted about the site on your blog or on a forum, or just told someone about the Animation Podcast, I couldn't be more grateful. And if I didn't get to hear how much you guys get out of the show, it wouldn't be as rewarding to make it. So, thanks again. I want to mention a few more things before the interview gets going. Now there's a new way to show your support for the podcast. I've opened up the Animation Podcast Swag Shop, where you can buy t-shirts, mugs, and even a magnet for your door or refrigerator. So stop by the shop on the site and show everyone that the voices in your head are the voices of animation. Second, I've introduced a new section of the site. I get a lot of emails asking really great questions, so I decided to share my responses with everyone in a new section I call Q&A. The first one answers a question about using generic rigs on animation reels and how studios respond to that. So go to the site, check it out, and leave your comments there. One last thing before the show. The Animation Podcast reaches a very specific audience of animation students, fans, and professionals. If you would like to reach these listeners and sponsor the Animation Podcast by placing an advertisement on the show or on the website, please contact me through the email form on the site. Shows are produced at least monthly, so if you're looking to promote a specific event or just want your organization associated with a podcast that has had over 350,000 downloads to date, go to animationpodcast.com and let me know. Okay, on with the show. James Baxter is one of the best animators in the world, hands down. Some of the characters he has brought to life include Quasimodo, Bell, Rafiki, Sinbad, Moses, and Spirit. He also created the animation for the film Enchanted at his studio, James Baxter Animation, and he has recently returned to DreamWorks to work on an upcoming film. So get comfortable, relax, and I hope you enjoy the final part of my interview with James Baxter. It seems like for you, it from an early age, I don't know, say 21 in animation, you you had a, a pretty rich knowledge of like Disney history and... Well, I was pretty voracious about yeah. absorbing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, obviously I read that, The Illusion of Life, you know, when I first got my hands on it and, you know, really read it and reread it, you know, and still read it sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, occasionally. Um, and it's it's an amazing book, actually, because it, it's, 
sort of animation philosophy, <laughs> you know, and the better you get as an animator, you can go back to it and go, Oh, I know, I know. Cause there's, there's stuff in there, which um, you think you completely un- understand. Um, but you, you understand more of it as you get further yeah. along. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people will like start out, they buy the book, they read it and it's like, they get like 10, 15% of what it's all talking about. Yeah. And then if you go back like five years later, you, yeah. you just keep getting more and more. Yeah. 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 And that's the same with looking at these guys work too. You know, as you go along, you know, that's, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, someone like Milt's work is still fascinating to me because, um, technically at least some of the other guys work starts to fall away as you get further along and you, and you start to pick out that when you first see the stuff, it's all amazing. Everything's amazing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but as you get into it and you start, you know, doing more of it yourself, you start to understand how good something is and how, you know, the mistakes and other things, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, you know, as, as you move up to start seeing what's coming out, you know, and what you have left to learn, you know, yeah. like, you know, you can still look at some of that work. Oh, I have no idea. What, how, how do you do that? Yeah, that's unbelievably good. In terms of like supervising, mm-hmm. and you, you, you were a supervisor on uh, Bell was the first film, right? Yeah, and that was when you were twenty one, twenty two. What was it? Nineteen ninety. So it was twenty three. Twenty three. Was it odd, like at that age, to be a supervisor? And did you ever feel like who will you get your advice from? You know, like where did you get? Well, your... it was odd to be a supervisor at that yeah. age, and I probably. I don't know if I should have been one because uh, I think I might have had the animation chops, but not the supervising chops, you know, to mm-hmm. do it. Because it requires, you know, uh, you know, not only being good at animating, but, you know, the, the sort of unquestioned respect of the people that are, you know, that you have to get to work for you, which is harder to have at 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was not as adept at, at being able to handle that issue. Um, much better at it now. If there was one film I wish I could go back and redo, it'd probably be Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. You know, in terms of what I could have done to have made it better, I actually got sick halfway through that film. Oh, really? Yeah, I was out for like I got mono, all <laughs> 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 things, and I was out for like a couple of months. You know, and hmm. you know, thank goodness Mark Hen was on the crew and he was able because there was a couple of sequences I really wanted to do, um, which were. Uh, Bell meeting Beast for the first time down in the dungeon mm-hmm. and uh, the Beast's death scene. I wanted to do both of those. They were crucial to the thing and that's what I wanted to do. And, but, you know, Mark did a great job. And it was good. But, uh, yeah, I got so stressed out. So stressed out on that film. I wasn't quite old enough to handle that pressure. Mm-hmm. And when you say you could have made it better, do you mean by doing more scenes by yourself? I would have taken control of the influencing character. Influencing more. Yeah, it would other. have influenced the character stronger. You yeah. know, I wasn't strong enough to say, you know, we're doing this model sheet and this is the way we're doing it. And, uh, and or competent enough to get out ahead of people early enough. That's one of the other one of the things you have to do is get out there, do a couple of shots and go, this is it. This is what we're doing. You know, so you got to be able to be on your game and get out there and do that fast enough and competently enough mm-hmm. um, you to put your stamp on it. Um, I'm also a lot better now at uh, supervising animators and being able to know 
what it is that's going to bring out the best in them. You know, to not impose your own, um, com- you know, completely your own way of doing something. Because on a large character, you know, it's going to take a dozen, maybe even as much as 16 people to pull it off if it's a really big character. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to realize that at the end of the day, your character is going to be a collection of people's creativity. So let them bring what they can bring to it. You know, some of the best shots in the film might not be done by you. They might be done by someone else. You've got to have the willingness to to realize that that's going to be the case and to let them do it. The trick is to make sure that they that we all understand who the character is so they're not doing something inappropriate. You know, as long as they're in with the personality of the character, there's no reason why they shouldn't do it as much their way as yours. And I look at it as my job to to help them do the best scene they can do, to help them make it the best that they can be. You know, if it's technically not up to scratch, to help them in that way. If it's not on model, to help them in that way. If the acting is not what the character should be, then to correct it. But to always let them bring their version of it to you you know and that way they feel like they have ownership of the character and it's part of them as as much as it is a part of you and they will do their best work that way if you're just saying no do it this way and sit down and do it for them all the time you know and and, uh, or just not accept anything other than the way that exactly the way that you would do it um just makes everyone depressed, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've I've lived through that. I've, I've been depressed. <laughs> well, you know, and a year and a half is a long time to do something like this. So yeah. you know, you you gotta want to come to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, and it really makes people do their best work. I think, and they're they're much prouder of it, and they they work for you harder. And and uh, you know, if they feel like they're bringing what they can bring. I guess it's kind of in the same lines of like, you know, supervising. It's like, well, who do you look up to? Like now, who pushes you? Well, I mean, obviously some of the best animators out there, you know, I, I look at right now and people whose work I really admire. I mean, I, I, I've always loved Eric Goldberg's work. You know, I, I love his facility with that, with his own style of mm-hmm. animation, that cartoon flexibility that he's got is just astounds me. And I love watching his stuff. Um, I really enjoy Sergio Pablos's work a lot, mm-hmm. just because he's so amazing. Uh, the draftsmanship is so amazing, and just the care and everything is so amazing. Um, you know, there's I, so I, I look at the people who I you know, think are doing really interesting. I, I I'm always fascinated by how Glenn will take a uh, a character and, and make something intriguing happen. You know, um, I was fascinated by how he's able to, you know, take so- something and and make it special in some way, make it into something that people want to watch. You know, like Tarzan or something. He'll take it, go Tarzan, and put something you know really interesting in there in that mix that people want to that they gravitate towards and they want to see more of. You know, that's a yeah. gift. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's all sorts of things which I. I want to try and make sure I get into my own work, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. And then I constantly look back at the old guys, you know, yeah. constantly and, yeah. and go, that's nah, still not there. Still not, I'm still not where that is, you know, yeah. in terms of its, ah, it's honesty. It's, it's just purity. 
Yeah. I kind of want to like remind everybody like, cause so many people just focus on animation and we talked a lot about action, live mm-hmm. action and action analysis and all these things. But it seems like a lot of people just, they just watch animation and animation feeds animation. Yeah. And, and it's like this, it turns into this weird cycle where you're reproducing cliche hand gestures and uh-huh. not you, you, but, uh, no, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I don't know, I, I wish we could just give people, I, mean, I think this whole interview is good advice on like how to break out of that. But um. well, I hope so. I mean, you look at those old guys and, <clears throat> and then the minute you, you, you re-realize or you, you know, realize that they are <clears throat> inventing this stuff, yeah. you know, as they go along, that these guys are primarily entertainers and they're using animation as this form of entertainment and they're doing everything, they're trying everything, love watching Snow White. They're trying everything <laughs> in that movie. It's just a, a fantastic experiment. They're trying everything in terms of animation, in terms of character, in terms of drawing, in terms of uh, what they can re- how they can render the drawings. Mm-hmm. They're just trying everything. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, to watch them uh, invent before your eyes. Um, and yeah, there's not enough of that, you know, or enough of that mentality anymore that you are. You know, animation is just your tool, and you are in out there to entertain people and how do you do that mm-hmm. you know what's the best way to do that yeah i'd heard that uh you were talking about 2d ending at dreamworks and you're saying that there were still things you wanted to do in animation like it was more to explore more to push well sure i i'm more to do in terms of the i just felt like i was i still feel like i'm getting a you know a good handle on this thing you know and why stop if you feel like you you know getting good handle on something mm-hmm I don't think I was talking about anything specifically, but I was just talking about throwing away potential, mm-hmm. you know, in a medium. Stop exploring. Yeah. 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 But there's still a lot of potential to be done. And I, you know, obviously it's, it was a little blip, you know, in terms of animation history or whatever, where all of a sudden, you know, two big studios stopped doing something, but you know, it didn't stop. And there's fascinating work being done out there by small companies and, you know, and again, I'm sure by big companies, you know, so it's, it's, it was just a weird time, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's like, there's nothing specific you can describe of like what you would want animation to become traditional animation. But, uh, is there anything specific? Like, I don't know, in terms of, I don't know, it's hard to say like what 2D could be. I mean, it could be anything really, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be anything. That's, that's the great part about it these days is it could be anything. There's so many tools now at our disposal for it to be anything, you know, in terms of its look um, you know, there's so many things we could do, you know, with computers and, and graphically to 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 make animation look different than it has before. And now that the the choice is is uh, you know almost limitless as to uh, how you portray something visually, um, I just think it's interesting to. I, I hope filmmakers will take this opportunity that they have so much choice. Uh, and be disciplined about what they want their films to look like and and how they want them to feel, because you can now tell a story in any way. You know, you can tell it all in CG. You could motion capture it. You could do it with live actors. You know, you can you can put anything on screen now that you want. You know, relatively, um, if not easily, but you can do it. Whereas before, it's so prohibitive, you just couldn't. Mm-hmm. So now it's really up to the filmmakers to make that choice as to how, well, how do I want this film to feel when people watch it and then make that choice, you know, of, of what would be the most effective 
medium or you know effective technique whether it be hand-drawn you know combinations of the two i didn't like it when hand-drawn was just trying to be a part of the 3d world so much you know that whole sort of combination of of things where they were trying to still make it a hand-drawn movie but it was so in a 3d world that both both techniques were losing out yeah you know and it and it became the lesser because of it it yeah, I think there's something charming about limited like environments. Yeah, like multiplane. It it works for a reason. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I like the fact that it when hand drawn animation is not apologetic, you know, for being drawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. That it is flat. You know, that, that's okay. You know, um, it's like people know it's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. 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 That they 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 don't have to have you know everything spelled out for them in terms of dimensionality and, and tones. I mean. There's so many lines that you have to walk, you know, in terms of what you want people to believe. You know, you have to, if you're going to tell a feature film with real characters that you want people to get into, you have to have a technique that is going to allow for that, that's not going to distract somebody to the point where they can't get into the character or the story. Mm-hmm. You know, your your visuals have to, you know, at least be easy enough to uh, get into, to invest yourself in that you can get into these characters. Uh, so that's a hard line to walk, Yeah, you know, these days, when there's so much option out there for, for do something crazy visually, you know. Yeah. So it's actually really fun to experiment with shorter form projects in terms of the visuals, where you don't have to rely on the audience's identification with a the character. They can just sit back and be wowed, you yeah. know. Yeah, That's a good place to experiment. I know that in your studio you have uh, a lot of interns coming through. Like during the summer, right? Yeah, I try to, if I have the space. Yeah. Yeah, we we couldn't two years ago because we were so busy. We mm-hmm. didn't have the space for them. But I like to, whenever I can, um, yeah, have some people, usually before they graduate, you know, if they're in like their third year or something, yeah. come in and, and just sit there and absorb and we'll, I'll set them tests to do and, you know, stuff like that so they can see what it's like to be more out, out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, any kind of like a basic way to break down like teaching animation? Do you always like start from the same place or I guess, you know, cause you have a group of people, so you can't teach each one. Well, see, my trick is I actually only pick really good people. So I don't have to teach them anything. Oh, you just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just give them a place to work. <laughs> no, but no, but, um, I, yeah, I, I, I like to teach people, um, uh, to get their fundamentals down so that they can then express themselves. I mean, I, I feel like, Everyone can, you know, express themselves in some way. But if you don't have the means to do it, uh, you're kind of stuck, mm-hmm. you know. So I try and get them some basic fundamentals in their heads first um, so that they can then act, so they can then perform. That's kind of the way. I, cause, I mean, if you've got a great piece of acting in your head, but you don't have the, the means to put it on paper, it's not going to impress anybody. You're not mm-hmm. going to get them with it. And fundamentals, you're talking like the 12 points of animation type of stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And with experienced animators, I I try and... Um, I sometimes try and break them out of, of thinking about 12 points of animation and start thinking more holistically about how movement works. Mm-hmm. You know, get deeper into what... You know, because things like squash and stretch and follow through, they're just labels. Sometimes kind of arbitrary labels. 
given to things which happen in the world. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can, you know, if you get deeper into it, you can think of it as a more of a whole picture of how movement works. You know, how, um, you know, a lot of people that have ever heard me talk, I talk about inertia, which really encompasses so much of, of those 12 points. You know, there's like half of them, which are just based on that, just one feeling mm-hmm. that, you know, you need some force to get something moving and you need some kind of force to stop it from moving, you know, once it's, once it's moving. Um, you know, and to, and to think about the world, you know, in those ways. And, and so, you, so you're not slapping your hand to your forehead because you've forgotten one of your 12 points, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it's really just one way that the world moves, you know? Yeah. Um, we haven't talked. We didn't talk much. Of, we talked a lot about animation philosophy and, uh-huh. and technique. We didn't talk, really talk about any of the films I worked on. Yeah, so let's go back. What, what to, do you want to talk about? Let's go back to Beauty and the Beast. Okay. And uh, so we, we, I think we talked a good deal about that. Yeah, we did. I mean, I, I think I mentioned I was probably a bit green mm-hmm. to do the supervising part of it. How many people were you supervising? Like fourteen? No, not that many. Oh no, it was only about eight. Oh okay. Something like that. And then after that, it had a, it had a decent schedule. Yeah, and you know what she is? She's not in it as much as some other uh, hero slash heroine characters. She's not in the movie as much as like Spirit or right. something. Right. You know, there's a large chunks of that film which is just the Beast, or you know, so yeah. it's, it's it's only really like an eight person crew. So then after Beauty and the Beast was... Oh, um, let let's see, what did I do after Beauty I, I quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you quit I Disney quit. and you went back to England. Disney likes to call it a hiatus. But I quit for a year and I went back to England and uh, I think just because I was just overwhelmed and stressed out about the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I went back to England and did some commercials at Passion Pictures, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun to do. I'd never, I wanted to do that. I'd never done commercials and, you know, that was part of that whole Dick Williams thing. Yeah. It's like I wanted yeah. to try doing that short form, uh, more experimental stylistically. Unfortunately, the first two I got were Disney style. <laughs> but I did get a couple of really cool ones. Um, one was actually based on uh, some of Dick's work which, that he did on Charge of the Light Brigade. We did a couple of beer commercials. Yeah, you showed me those ones. Yeah, oh, I did. You know, okay, the old, the old lady. Yeah, yeah. So we did, it was like um, Victorian uh, magazine illustration style, mm-hmm. all in mean, like cross hatching and, and stuff, um, three frame dissolves, and that was really fun. Uh, to do that and you know Chiquita Banana Lady you know a few things like that Uh Uh, so I did that for a year and then I came back to uh, the state's uh, colossal uh, big big pictures in San Francisco uh, wanted me to come over and uh, you know do some commercials for them so I came over to San Francisco and uh, and worked there for a couple of months Um, actually met my wife there although we didn't completely hook up at that point. <laughs> and uh, and we, we met later at Disney again. So I did, I think I just did the one commercial at Colossal because, you know, at that time, you know, and then Disney started making noise about wanting me back on, on Lion King. You know, at that point, so I just did one like Bell South commercial uh-huh. for them. Yeah, and then I came back down uh, to work on Lion King. So I missed Aladdin. Okay. Yeah. Which is always fun for me to watch Aladdin because I didn't work on it. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have any planned character for you for Lion King? Um, and the very first thing that Don Hahn sent to me was Timon. Mm-hmm. He sent some uh, sketches that Chris Sanders had done of Timon, and they were pretty much right 
at the point where they were dividing up characters at that point. I think Andreas had maybe already done a test. Uh, I think Tony Fucilli had already done some drawings of Mufasa. Um, and then, yeah, but nothing had been decided on Timon at that point. And he sent me that, and I did a couple of drawings. And and then um, it, it came down that uh, Rafiki was going to be freed up and that they would rather have me do that rather than uh, do Timon and that Mike Sari was going to do Timon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I came in to do Rafiki, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. It was actually the most fun I had on a movie, mm-hmm. on any movie, was, oh. was doing that. Ever? Yeah. Huh. Because it was, um, you know, as much as I like, you know, supervising and doing the doing the, the big character or whatever, um, it was a nice break to, to do a character which you could pretty much do by yourself. Mm-hmm. There was really only like half a dozen scenes I didn't do of him. And uh, he was just a fun character that was off in the sidelines and wasn't under, like, scrutiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Simba or something would be under scrutiny from the studio or Jeffrey or whatever. And it was just fun to go off and do something that nobody really cared that much about. Did you uh, do the design for him? Well, sort of the final one, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there was obviously, a, as there always is, lots of stuff, you know, yeah. from Story yeah. and Gene Gilmore done and and, but- and also... Chris Sanders again had done some cool drawings. Mm-hmm. Was uh, there on that show an overlying like character designer that kind of tied everything together? No, yeah. no, and that's always scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I guess on that show for some reason it kind of worked out okay. I think so. I yeah. think well for the most part I think people you know looked a lot at Tony's drawings of Mufasa, you know, and that influenced Simba. Uh, and you know Chris Sanders had done these fantastic drawings, you know. So everyone who was was initially at least basing, you know, their first thing on what Chris had done because he'd done this whole pass at everybody. It doesn't look like a Chris Sanders movie, mm-hmm. you know. It looks very Disney in terms of just its, you know, basic animal sort of jungle booky type version yeah. of things. So it's it's not particularly uh, stylish, but it, at least it turned out. Fairly cohesive. I mean, more cohesive than like something like Beauty and the Beast, I guess. And uh, after that, you uh, you're on Hunchback, right? Yeah, I went straight from straight, straight from Rafiki to Hunchback. And you yeah. knew at that point you were doing Quasimodo. Yeah, because yeah. Kirk and Gary asked me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and Tony just kind of jumped straight to there, and you mm-hmm. guys worked really close. We together. did on that one. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. That's when I was an intern, so yeah, I, I would always I come that. and hang out during the summer at your door. Yeah. Uh, but like you, you guys worked together in designing characters, and and I remember one of you would rough stuff out, and the other would tie it down. Yeah, it was a real back and forth. There was all sorts of variations on that thing, uh-huh. where you know Tony would. I suppose the most common one was Tony would do one drawing of a character that looked really cool because that's what he's really good at, and uh-huh. I'm not. <laughs> like, oh, that's an awesome character, and then I would take it and do some kind of turnaround where I would do a crazy upshot and a squash and a stretch and a three-quarter rear version of it uh-huh. and stuff which is kind of what i'm good at is like extrapolating that and and making it turn around and stuff i'd give that back to him and he'd go over it again and that would kind of be the model sheet huh. for a character that would be that the most common version you know of what it, of how we worked and then you know other people were roped into that process too i mean kathy Zelensky had done a lot of frollo drawings which we then took and tweaked you know, try to tweak it into the style and and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but I, I think it worked pretty good. Yeah, yeah I think that movie has yeah. a really cohesive style. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not 
really in, that inventive in terms of style. It's pretty middle of the road. That's what was asked for. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to do something that felt, you know, classic Disney sort of kind of thing. Right. And I know like Ronald Searle was. Yeah, they had a, you know, and we got excited about, you know, using some of that sort of Ronald Searle influence, you know, that you can see, you know, in Mary Poppins and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, you could have made it look like a really Ronald Searle movie, and I'm, that might have been great. I mean, there have been movies made that look very Ronald, like Dick Deadeye or something, mm-hmm. that look completely Ronald Searle. I'm not sure it would completely work for a Disney feature, a where, you, feature, where yeah. you've really got to get into the characters. Again, it's that thing where you need the style to at least be accessible enough that people won't be watching the style. It's funny, I'm like, I worked on Hunchback. I don't have that many questions about it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess my my wishes about... I I was proud of the work I did on Hunchback. I was very proud of the crew um, that we got together. That was the first time I actually felt more comfortable in a big supervising role. Mm -hmm. Because I think after I'd been away and I come back, I sort of had that kind of respect that, that was necessary to pull that kind of thing off. So I felt a lot better about my abilities to supervise a crew on that movie Mm -hmm. you know animation wise probably about the same as on beauty and the beast you know i was still learning um to sort of refining things but uh yeah much better the whole supervising gig and then after that you actually went to dreamworks did yeah i was interested in working with some of these european guys you know christoph sarand and you know guys like that and i was I felt that was, oh, I'd like to work with some of them. They do some really great animation. Yeah. And it'd be fun to go and work with them for a while. And I was a little bit uh, dissatisfied with Disney. I could kind of feel some of the ways that, you know, the management was going, you know, at the studio. And I was getting a little bit uneasy about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, why not? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, you know, why not? I've always been a bit of a, I don't know, not a risk taker so much, but just like willing to just, you know, try something, come to America and try working for Disney. Oh, try working for DreamWorks. It might be fun. Yeah. You know, not, I haven't never really been too worried about what it might do. <laughs> Maybe that's foolhardy, but I was, you know, it seems to have worked out if I go with my gut feeling on something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think, um, for me, Prince of Egypt, the, the burning bush sequence is like one of the most amazing pieces of animation ever. Oh, thanks. And how long did you work on that sequence? Although he's kind of off model. <laughs> yeah his eyes are too far sorry Christoph <laughs> um, I can't remember how long yeah. I worked on that I did that I did that sequence and I did the sequence where Moses young Moses uh, goes into the ghetto and first discovers that he might be Hebrew where he's where Aaron and Miriam are, are there mm-hmm. I didn't do Aaron and Miriam but I did Moses in that little bit too so I basically did just those two sequences yeah yeah and Gosh, I guess I must have been. I, I I hadn't planned on working on Prince of Egypt. Hmm. I came to to DreamWorks to work on El Dorado, and uh, you know that hit the skids. Well, as it kind of did all through production, and so they asked me to step in and help out on Prince of Egypt for a while. So that's what I did, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was just that was a fun experience. First time working with those guys, and you know, and it was so nice. They had like nobody had any egos <laughs> at all. Everyone was just totally into trying to do the best work they could do, and, and, and you know, it all felt very new. And <clears throat> and there was cake. <laughs> there was cake in the afternoons. Uh-huh. Everyone gained a lot of weight. 
but yeah, it was, it was a real sense of like uh, starting new, and and uh, it was kind of fun. And like the, the whole uh, that I'm going to go back to that burning bush thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you act that stuff out, or was there live action reference? Or how did you guys do? No, the movie? I acted that out. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, he's a human man, so <laughs> that worked out okay. <laughs> no excuse, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I just, I acted that stuff out. Uh-huh. Yeah, in, in terms of I know like it's a little different for this because you have like the the hair blowing, sure, like, like God's voice, and yeah. So yeah. that obviously was planned out in the blocking. Yeah. Or? No, I had to go. I went back into it a lot mm-hmm. to get the hair right. You know, making sure it was blowing at the right times. They actually hadn't recorded God's voice at that point. It was all scratch. So some of it doesn't time exactly as it should. I think he reacts a little too early mm-hmm. to the whip crack in his mind. So, yeah, it, it almost works. But, it, um, yeah, I was, I was trying to do, you know, stuff from the heart. I tried to be honest mm-hmm. about how you would react, you know, to that. I mean, I can't, I think Lorna had boarded it. Lorna seems to have boarded some of the best stuff I do. She boarded most of the Rafiki stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was, uh, which made it so great because it was all, it was great. It was all there. I just to make it move around in a fun way and not screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she boarded that piece too. If she didn't, I apologize to whoever did. But yeah, that was yeah really interesting to do something that was supposed to be real and dramatic. Mm-hmm. Also, Moses listening to his sister sing, you know, that moment where it's just a long shot on his face where you're trying to, where he's trying to remember if he's heard this before and what is it. And just doing that totally pantomime um, was also interesting too. That was fun to do. Yeah, really trying to come up with an animation style that was realistic enough, but still animated. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't rodoed. It wasn't just sort of slavishly realistic in that way, but sort of a little more real than your average cartoon thing. Yeah, yeah. Was that uh, a style that you were not looking forward to getting away from? But uh... No, I in fact, I really like doing the cartoony stuff. <laughs> but it's uh, because I, I actually haven't done enough of it. You know, whenever I do get to do something that's a broader, I have so much fun. Yeah, trying yeah. to do it. And then, uh, so you went to El Dorado after that. Yeah, which was hard because it was just a story that wasn't ever sorted out. Mm-hmm. One of those movies, you know, where it, it just never sorted out. Yeah, and you just keep animating. You and... just keep animating, <laughs> and it keeps getting cut. And <laughs> you know, um, but I had fun doing some design stuff on it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a lot of fun uh, doing some model sheets and things. And um, Again, I had a, uh, a good time learning how to be a better supervisor. And uh, was it Dave Brewster who was animating the other character? Yeah, and Dave did, was animating Miguel. Did you guys um, share scenes a lot, or when there were two characters, yeah, would you kind do of, both yeah. of them? Or yeah, no, we shared we shared quite a few scenes. There's a lot of shots with yeah. them together. But again, we both had kind of such big crews mm-hmm. that actually the number of shots which me and Dave shared specifically was you know, f- you know just about half a dozen or so. Because, you know, it, he had a whole group of guys and I had a whole group of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the actual amount of time we crossed paths was fairly rare. But I'd done a, a a test scene on Miguel and I did a test scene on Chell as well before it got handed over to Rudolph, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. Which is kind of what I was doing while the whole Prince of Egypt thing was kind of boiling up. They had, they had me doing test scenes oh, okay. while they were trying to figure out their story. You know? mm-hmm. So, and then on to Spirit. Yeah. And then Spirit, Spirit was, was probably nice. the film I learned the most on since the early films. Mm-hmm. 
than I did. Obviously, I was learning a lot on Roger Rabbit and Little Mermaid and Rescuers. But I don't think I really stagnated, but I, uh, Spirit was a, a big learning experience for me. Because although I'd done a few four-legged animals here and there, I really didn't get into the real heart of it, you know, um, until Spirit. And that's really why I wanted to do it. It was like, I need to get to the heart of this matter if I'm going to be a more yeah. complete animator. Yeah, I think every animator is kind of like, they dance around it for a while. Yeah. And you have to actually do it. You've got to dive in there and do your homework and do it. And I was looking forward to doing that because here's a project I could finally do that on. Uh, you know, I'd done a few little horses pulling carts in Beauty and the Beast or a few lions walking around, you know, in, in uh, Lion King. But to do the horse and really take it apart and uh, figure out the gates and how you change the gate and getting it enough into your system that you could then just animate it and do, have the horse do things that horses really can't do but make it kind of look like they could do. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, and just have the freedom to be able to animate an animal without having to rely on any live action for it or to have it enough in your system that you could do it was uh the challenge and the the joy of doing that film for yeah. me. How, how long uh, did it take to kind of get the horse thing down i mean it, oh, it was a hard couple of months of of changing tack constantly as far as my input what i was inputting mm-hmm. into myself where i would hit a wall you know I, I would look at books for a while and look at horse books and anatomy books for a while and try and figure out the structure and when i sort of hit a wall where i felt like i wasn't understanding it anymore i uh we had dr deb bennett and stuart sumita mm-hmm. both came along so they were invaluable in opening some of those doors um but then i would go maybe look at video for a while and look at the horses moving around and try and compare the anatomy book to the video i was looking at and try and, oh that's what that is you know that's what that crazy elbow thing is <laughs> when it's moving it actually looks like that because you know sometimes anatomy books they're very yeah the di- they're diagrams mm-hmm. you know they're not the real thing moving at, in front of yeah, you yeah Stuart says that all the time he's uh, like these shoulders don't look at those shoulders yeah, they're wrong they're it's all wrong. a three dimensional yeah. living thing you know yeah. but if you can get the anatomy book and uh, so I kept changing my input sources till eventually I started and I was just doing a whole bunch of bad drawings at the time you know, but as I went along over a, a month or two months, you know, getting a, a better shorthand, I wanted to create a shorthand of a horse, you know, that I could animate because they're so complicated. Yeah. There's so many sort of little bitty muscles and things. I wanted to get to a stage where I was comfortable enough that I could simplify it and it would still be right, but simplified, you know, so it was coming up with those simplified versions of the real thing, you know, make sure I had to understand the real thing. Yeah, it took a little while. Yeah, I mean, I guess those the spirit is kind of like the modern Bambi in terms of like a, a limited range of uh, what a character can do. It's like the, the mouth is down at the front of the face and all these yeah, things. Yeah, all that, all that Bambi stuff. Yeah, I wish it was as good as Bambi. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good movie. I, I like it. You know, Bambi happens to be one of my favorite movies ever. So uh-huh. it's always hard to for me to jump in and compare anything to Bambi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it had a lot of the same problems. You know, a lot of the same uh, challenges, mm-hmm. you know, to it. Except, you know, Spirit didn't even talk in this one. That's right. Which I suppose it was a blessing. Yeah. Because I didn't have to connect the mouth to the eyes in that way. You know, so I, you know, I guess in, term, that term, in, in those terms, it was easier. And then after that... Oh, and I wasn't inventing character animation at the time either. 
Yeah. That's yeah. what I made it easier to. Uh, compared to Bambi? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so after that, you went to Shrek, right? Yeah. Uh, no, Sinbad. Oh, that's right. Sinbad. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. It, I kind of block it out, too. <laughs> but you weren't actually a supervising animator on that show. No, no. I, te- as... I intentionally... Am I? No, no, you're not. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I intentionally took a back seat. Mm-hmm. You know, just having done the spirit, which was very demanding. And just knowing that there were so many other animators at DreamWorks that could use the chance to do it. Right. You know, I actually kind of thought, well, maybe maybe it's not right for every time for someone to be a supervising animator when they could actually help out more by taking someone else's lead on a character, but doing a lot of work for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. on that character, you know, and helping out in that way and, and, and being able to stay fresh, you know, and yeah. not get burned out, you know. So I intentionally said, no, I think Jakob Jensen should supervise Sinbad and I'll work for him because we work very well together. Mm-hmm. And I'll just do a lot of footage, you know, for Jakob. Mm-hmm. And that'll be fun. Uh, and that's what I did. You know, I just sat in there and, and it was great because I was, you know, in a good place where I could animate, but I uh, wasn't having to deal with all the meetings and just could do a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, again, it was one of those films which was, they weren't quite sure what kind of film they were making, you know, along the way. Didn't quite work out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was some fun animation. We had some fun doing it. Uh, yeah, and then it was uh, uh, Shrek, then the, the big sort of thing came down where we're stopping hand-drawn and you guys are all going to do uh, CG mm-hmm. you know, for a while. So we went up to um, PDI in uh, Redwood City there and uh, did like a boot camp, you know, for a couple of weeks. And Boot camp in terms of them training you? Yeah, yeah. in terms of CG, yeah. yeah. Like, how do you animate on a computer, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that was good. They did a really, they had a really good time uh, teaching us how to do that. Um, and obviously, some people take to it easier than others, you know. But I think for the most part, they were surprised at how quickly we all, we all did take mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really the same thing. It's it just, is. It's yeah. just the interface. Yeah, uh, it's only hard if you really don't know how to animate, because then you kind of learn how to do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but if you already got a good handle on animation, especially if you're the sort of animator who tends to plan things out, you know, ahead of time, um, then it's quite an easy transition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did that and uh, supervised animation on Shrek. So I can't remember if I was going to supervise from the get go or whether that just kind of happened along the way. And in terms of su- supervising, it was it wasn't like one character, right? No, the film sort of had uh, like uh, three supervising animators basically mm. that we kind of split split things up just oversee work and yeah 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 and uh since i was down south um you know most of the work was done up north uh but there was about a dozen guys down south who were animating so i was going to help mm. heading those guys up okay and like you before you talked about uh, cg kind of teaching you about animation like doing it has made you a better animator uh yeah, it certainly helped me be able to talk that language. Uh-huh. You know, so that I'm I don't feel lost when I'm talking about CG or uh-huh. if I'm or if I'm teaching CG animators, I can yeah. talk that language. You yeah, know, which is great. Do you think it's like influenced like how you f- you think about animation though? Like in terms of like things Not in much. space? Or? Not much. No, I really don't. No, I mean I haven't. I mean, it just taught me a little bit, a few things about how it works in that world. Mm-hmm. You know, have some of the care you have to take in certain things. I mean, you do have to animate 
slightly differently in terms of some of the extra layering you have to put in. Yeah. It all goes along with that art direction and movement style going hand in hand. Yeah. You know, the, one has to, you know, match the other in terms of the level of detail that you're putting in, you know, the, to stop things from looking dead, you know, and, or the amount that you have to be direct and simplify when you don't have that detail mm-hmm. in order to communicate, you know, so that in a direct and graphic style, you've got to be direct and graphic in your movements, you know, to sell the same emotional statement or, you know, to sell the same acting and, and CG, the more realistic it gets, the more layered and realistic you have to get in the movement yeah. for it to seem believable. Otherwise it'll go dead, you know? Yeah. I'm finding CG is way more work. It is. Well, it's, yeah. It's more work in terms of the richness of the layering. Yeah. You have to go unless the art direction gets simpler, you know, then it gets more direct again, you know, but in Shrek, it's this world, uh, which looks, you know, it's kind of weird looking place, (laughs) you know, some of the character design stuff is a little odd, but, um, where you can see every pore on the skin and every hair on their chin and every thread of their clothing. Right. So, you know, if you're dealing with a world like that, you've got to go in there and deal with it. If it's not dealt with, it's going to be weird and flat and wrong and dead. Yeah. You know, I guess the trick is knowing how to deal with it tastefully with purpose so you're not just moving things for the sake of it you know otherwise things just turn sort of jelly and and stuff so if you're dealing with something like subtle eye movements and and facial twitches <laughs> <laughs> uh that uh you know that you're actually dealing with that um because there's certain things that that just come up that just don't happen um in hand-drawn animation things that would look like mistakes mm-hmm. in hand-drawn animation you have to you know you know, put in there just like, I mean, a great example is I, I tried to get, um, you know, the more realistic you get with someone's face, the more you realize that the muscles that move the face around sometimes sort of do it in kind of fits and starts because they kind of drag the features over your face and, and trying to do like a smooth computer raise of one's eyebrows to go up and down with uh, with one's eyebrows completely smoothly, if you try doing it, you can't do it mm-hmm. because your muscles kind of like stop and start, and it kind of does it in in fits and starts. Um, so, how far do you go? I mean, do you do you? I suppose with a, an art direction like The Incredibles or something, you you can get away with not doing that, and you can be simpler and more direct about it because the texture of their skin is more cartoony, mm-hmm. you know. But when you get into those kind of art directions where you can see the pores and every individual hair on their eyebrows, it starts to look floaty and weird if you do it like that. You've got to do that little thing kind of in fits and starts, which is so much more work. Yeah, yeah. Um, for it to look right. And I, I I was working on, what was it? I think I was working on Shrek too when when uh, the Two Towers came out and Gollum uh, came out. And that was very cool. Yeah. You know, seeing how far they were willing to go to make that work yeah 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 that was pretty amazing oh yeah i love some of the shots I, I you know you know it's fake but it looks so real <laughs> oh yeah no i mean they did such a great job obviously with the rendering and getting the character into the shot but the animators you know just did a, did a fantastic yeah. job of, yeah, that's what i mean yeah yeah of getting in there and really you know getting in there yeah <laughs> with all of those things and making it work you know yeah. with the mouth and, yeah. the, and the eyes and everything yeah and, know. and knowing the schedule they were under it's, it's yeah it's just a phenomenal achievement yeah 
Yeah, and I, and I don't think it'll be really beaten for a while in terms of its, you know, real honest portrayal of character through through CG. You yeah. know, it, that sits in a live action world. Actually, that's, that's the best thing the motion capture is good for. Even though Gollum isn't strictly speaking motion capture, obviously they had they did some and they did reference. But you you know you can see that how much the animators did on that yeah. that thing to really pull it all together. Yeah, you know I think it was helpful to them to have the reference. You know, to ground them in that reality, as anyone putting something into a live-action film would want. But, yeah, I can't say enough good things about what they did. Yeah, me too. Uh, so after that, you worked on Madagascar. Yeah, and that was a little easier because the rigs were getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, they were more flexible and, you know, you could start doing some some more stuff on that. Um, I think when I was working on Madagascar, I was starting to get itchy feet, though. Starting to go, oh, I wish I could draw this stuff. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. the sort of the uh, the experiment was over <laughs> for me. <laughs> and I go, oh, wow, man, I just want to be drawing again. Yeah. You know, so I don't think I really um, put as much into Madagascar as I could have. Yeah, that's pretty much a, a DreamWorks, it seems. It's over, like traditional animation. Well, yeah, I don't think they have any plans to do, yeah, to do yeah. it. I mean, you know, Disney's doing their thing, but yeah, uh, they're doing their thing. But on Madagascar, it was like there was nothing except for starting your own studio, right? Right, right. You know, and I, again, I'm just one of these people that likes to go. Don't think about how crazy it might be. Uh-huh. <laughs> just go out there and do it and see if it works. And hey, you know, if it fell flat on my face, I'll just go back and do something else. <laughs> but I think I would just have regretted it having never tried. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, we came out here and set this place up, and we seem to be doing just fine. Yeah. What's what's good about it? Uh, it's good just um, being able to make up your own ways of doing things. You know, it's good having the size be small enough that you can communicate with everyone instantly. You can move really quick. Hmm. You can, like, change tack and, and uh, get things done very quickly, you know, because you're not dealing with separate departments in that way, you know, because yeah. you're a handful of people. And I, if I shout loud enough, pretty much everyone in the building can hear me. <laughs> so, you know, the communication is, is so quick that we can move fast and find... And we don't have to just set down completely set ways of doing everything. We don't like to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. but we can be flexible, you know, in terms of our methodology, you know, yeah. how we put things together. So at the peak of busyness here, how many people are working here? Uh, just under 50 that's we pretty had, big. <laughs> yeah, and we couldn't actually fit all 50 in the building. We could only fit like 36, 37 people mm-hmm. in the building. So some people had to work from home, but um, that's how busy it got last year. Do you still yeah. find that you have time to actually animate? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. That's, that's Which the is, point. <laughs> well, it was good, and, you know, <laughs> and some of the other things I was supposed to be doing, apart from animating, were falling <laughs> falling by the wayside. But hopefully, you know, we've fixed that. So, yeah, no, that that was important to me, actually, in starting James Baxter Animation, is that I wanted it always to be at least partly James Baxter's animation. I mean, what's <laughs> yeah. the point otherwise? Because uh, that's what I like to do, and that's what I feel is one of the things I'm best at doing. Um, so I want to keep doing that, you know, if I possibly can. I don't want to, you know, even if I do direct something, I still want to do some animation on it, if that's at all possible. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, I guess... Uh yeah, I'll just wrap this up. I'll say, uh, well, thanks for your time and sharing all this with us. And um, anything else to say? Any? I don't think I have anything wise to say. Only that I f- still feel that I'm, I'm still learning, you know. 
and it's fun because of that. It's still fun for me. It's still really intriguing for me to uh, see the trick happen, to see things come to life that hasn't not got boring. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, and I still, you know, change my approach ever so subtly from project to project. You know, each past project influences me and, and you know, adds, either adds something new or gets me into a slightly different way of working, you know, which I love. I yeah. still love exploring new ways to do things. That concludes my interview with James Baxter. Again, I want to extend my gratitude to James for making himself available to do the show. It was more than I could have asked for, so thanks, James. Your feedback is very welcome at the Animation Podcast. Stop by the site and comment on this show or any of the posts. You can also email me through the form on the site or directly at animationpodcast at gmail.com. But please keep in mind that I am more busy than I have ever been, in a good way, uh, so I may not respond too quickly to emails. On many of the old shows, I mentioned a phone number to leave comments, and I hope that no one calls it anymore because it no longer works for the podcast. And I keep thinking that someone out there is wondering why in the world people keep leaving them messages about animation. I have a new number that I'm going to give out, and it should be around for a while. So it is area code 916-273-8669. I did my best to spell something with it. So if you can remember, area code 916-AP-FUNNY, as in animation podcast funny. It is also a Skype in number, so if you want to leave me a message on Skype... My username is Animation Podcast. It's all one word. And I'm new to Skype, so if anyone out there uses it, would you mind trying to leave me a message through my username? Not the phone number, just so I can see how to use it. Uh, I'd appreciate that. I was beginning to think that the voicemail feature was going to disappear, but it's a good thing I checked the number because I have a new message from Rob. Hi, Clay. My name is Rob. just want to thank you again for another amazing animation podcast. This series with James Baxter is a dream come true for so many uh, animators and animation, uh, up-and-coming animators, just like myself. Uh, I have to just thank you so much for this. Even the second episode alone, like you said, it's going to take about 20 listens to truly understand and, and come to grips with everything that he's, he's just teaching. Um, it's just gold, top to bottom. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just also want to say, uh, appreciate, say thank you for uh, keep, the fact you kept mentioning uh, Animation Mentor over these years, because I actually just finally uh, was accepted into Animation Mentor as a spring student coming up. I'll be starting March 31st, and I am so excited. And if it wasn't for your show that reminded me that this is a, a great program to get into, then I might not have done it. So uh, thank you again for that. And I look forward to the Animation Mentor exclusive podcast whenever that does come out. So thank you again. Keep the shows coming. And all right. Thanks for calling, Rob, and good luck at Animation Mentor. You have chosen a wonderful career. If you want, send me an email, and I'll do my best to follow your progress at AM. I also want to remind you, don't forget about the swag shop while you're at the site. Check it out and help me retire. And finally, I want to thank my sponsor, AnimationMentor.com, the online animation school. Go to their site and sign up for their free monthly newsletter. If you don't receive it already, I must say it's pretty cool, so you won't be disappointed. It's at AnimationMentor.com. That's all for show 25. I'll see you next month with an all new guest. Until then, thanks for tuning in.